Hello, Julian. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm good, thank you very much indeed. Good. What, what do you want to talk about tonight? No. Don't know. What what do we talk about? Got any ideas? Yeah, I've got an idea. Yeah? I've got an idea, yeah, yeah. Because tonight, Julian Hode, this is your life. Dun, dun, dun. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hope. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. So, Julian Entwistle Hode, born on July the 24th, 1824, mm-hmm. yes. of John Henry Hode and Mariah Hode. Yes, unfortunately, they were twins. Uh, something I, in my great 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 grandparents' past, I was hoping would come out, but no, that they, they were yet. Have I got this right? I don't think I've got this right, have I? I think you might have got someone else there. Did, I, did I have to question the 1884. It sounds about right, but I can't help feeling that I was a child of the 60s. Oh. And that's the 1960s rather than the 1860s or 80s. So, um, Probably no relation to this person who left these fair shores and went to America to earn his living and died in penury in uh, New York. No, no. Uh, I haven't been to New York. I certainly haven't died there yet. Okay, let's right. start again. Okay, okay. Let's start again. So are you from Kent? Ah, yeah, no, my father was originally, yeah. yeah. Did, did you actually know that something like 90% of hodes come from Kent and Sussex? Yes, I looked up once, years ago, I looked up the name Hode and mm-hmm. came up with nothing of interest other than uh, it's an abbreviation for hydroxyoctyl acetyl disuccinate. Uh, which I thought was great, but I didn't think it was relevant. I, I also found out that a lot of hoods came from Kent, and my father's grandparents uh, and, and, and parents were were born in, in Kent, as was my father. And he spent most of his life, uh, or most of his early life, at school in in, uh, in Kent. So did you grow up in Kent then? No, no. <laughs> well, I spent... I spent a few weeks there. Are you going to spoil this whole interview all evening? No, no, no. I, I worked in Kent with Phil Lamette many years later. Yes. But the thing is, you see, I was an army brat, so I grew up all over the place. Right. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Is that if I hadn't been in the army, I might have been brought up in Kent. Or you'd have had a consistency in your education. I don't think I would ever have had that, no. I was far too rebellious. Oh, that's such a lie. I was trying to make myself look cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so tell me then, Julian, as, as a schoolboy growing up, did, did you want to be a vet when you were at school? I did. I did. According to my mum, I wanted to be a vet when I was five. Oh, right. And now the thing is, you see, she, she told me that when I was about six. So I'd not had a lot on time to, to forget and she told everyone and so it was a done thing I I kind of always wanted to be a vet but I'm never quite sure whether I wanted to be a vet because that's what I decided when I was five or that's because my mom had decided that's what I decided 
when you were six. <laughs> when I was six, right. She thought, I'll, I'll shut him up. He likes animals. Although, having said that, she was quite disappointed when I eventually became a vet. Really? Mm. Why? Well, actually, it was before. It was before I became a vet. Uh, when I was doing my A-levels, I was offered the role of Oliver in a new film coming out. Right. I'd done a lot of, lot of round dram and a few, uh, few professional bits. And they, they offered me this role. I, I auditioned. They, they said, great, the role's yours. And then I suddenly thought, hang on, I've got to take a year off school. And it was first year of A-levels. And I thought, I can't do that. Because if I do that, then I won't get the grades I need to get into vet school. And they said, well, you want to be an actor, don't you? I said, no, 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 I want to be a vet. They said, no, that's a bit of a problem then, isn't it? Okay, well, we'll give the job to a guy called Mark instead. And, uh, and they did. Uh, and my mum, I think, was always disappointed that, that I could have been some famous actor rather than just a vet. Ma- Mark who? Well, according to my mum, it was Mark Lester, but I think the timing is wrong there. So uh, I don't think it was that film. I think there was another Oliver film around. Right. This is, was this Oliver the sequel? <laughs> That's right. It was based on the fact that he didn't like his adoptive parents and uh, gave it all up to, uh, to enter into a monogamous single-sex relationship with the artful Dodger. Right, okay. Mm. So, so you, you potentially turned down the ultimate screen break. Yeah. So that you could concentrate on your studies at school to become yeah. a vet. That's it. And the funny thing was, I didn't get the grades I needed at A-level anyway. So... <laughs> so I had to go on and do another degree first. Fair enough. Is that, is that, so you, you went down to Plymouth Poly, didn't you? I, I did that, Plymouth Poly. I don't right. know why I said that in a Scottish accent because it wasn't really Scottish. No. So what's, what, what did you study at Plymouth Poly then? I did uh, BSc in Biological Sciences. Right. And uh, majored, as I think the term is, in um, microbiology and biochemistry. I see. Uh, and it was good fun because being down in Plymouth and me loving fish and the sea, yeah. I got to do all sorts of things like eating fish and swimming. Yeah, because it's by mm. the sea, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a bit cold, though. It's a bit cold. And this was before wetsuits became affordable. Yeah. These, these days, people will have two wetsuits, won't they? They'll have, they'll have one for the winter and one for the summer when they don't really need one. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so that was your first degree then. Quick, so, so quick yes. question then, because we, we've interviewed a number of people, haven't we, where they mm. have they've said they wanted to be a vet and they have either not been given the places or offered the grades mm-hmm. and it's been suggested to them that maybe they should go off and do another degree first zoology or biology or, or whatever it is and then reapply and they'll come in at probably second year level mm. but the significant difference between now and then is now everybody has to fund their own degree whereas yeah. back then we used to we were very generously given grants weren't we yeah we were um and luckily i was given a full grant for mm-hmm. Plymouth. Right. Which was great. Um, you know, my mum, uh, single parent at the time, three kids, couldn't have afforded anything. Right. Um, I 
couldn't really have afforded or justified looking back on it paying for my degree at Plymouth because I'd still be paying for <laughs> paying for that now but never got to vet school and I was, I was bitterly disappointed I must be said bitterly disappointed at the time not to get the grades and felt that it was uh, very much a, a second place thing to do to go to Plymouth Poly right um, and to do biology in fact it was one of my biology teachers a lovely lovely teacher called Jackie Darby who said look I'm a poly grad you like me as a teacher don't you I said yeah you're fantastic well she said don't be a snob go and do it and I did and it was, it was fantastic and I you know I wouldn't go back and change my life at all because right. I had such a great time at Plymouth a lot of the friends I made there are, are friends now mm-hmm. um, a lot of the memories I've made are memories now which I may not be able to say in 20 years' time. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you remembered that. <laughs> I've got it written down. Okay. Um, and, and, and yes, it was, it was fully funded, which was great. And I was told at the time, yes, do another degree and then reapply, and uh, there's a very good chance to get in. Mm-hmm. So I did the other degree purely with the view of getting into veterinary school after. Oh, right, okay. And got a 2-1 and reapplied, and they said... Sorry, we're not taking grads. <laughs> that was that was all the vet schools. We're not taking graduates. We've got too many, uh, too many people applying. So, yeah. right. So I thought, oh, oh dearie me, that's three years of my life wasted, isn't it? I, I didn't, I didn't think that at all. I thought, well, time to do something else. Okay. And after a couple of days of crying and thinking, I'll never be a vet. I then thought, what have I really enjoyed? Plymouth what what can I do that I really enjoyed to to make a career mm-hmm. and I thought no I can't do disco dancing as a career what else have I really enjoyed acting no. acting acting yeah but you yeah, turn no, no, down I've... you turn down the big part in I've the big movie they'll never have you back mm. no no I think they said you'll never work in this town again right yeah it was Slough and I never have worked there again so fair enough uh, so, but what I really enjoyed in the microbiology and biochemistry part of the course was viruses, studying right. viruses. And so I eagerly scanned the back pages of New Scientist looking for jobs in virology. And there was a job going in HIV research at the Chester right. Beetle Laboratories in, in London. And HIV at the time was a, was a new virus. It, it was only, yeah. uh, only been discovered maybe two, three years before. Yep. And all the money was going into the research into that. And so all the, all the fun gadgets, all the neat tools and, and, and uh, um, reagents were going into to HIV research. So I thought, wow, that'd be fantastic. I want a, I want a part of that. Yep. So I interviewed for the job, uh, lied in the interview in the grand tradition of anyone going for an interview anywhere, and, uh, and got the job. I, I, what little lie did you tell at your interview then? Ah, well, on, on the train on the way to the interview, I was reading New Scientist and there was an article about some new test that had come out called a polymerase chain reaction. Right. Uh, and in fact, it wasn't, it wasn't a test in those days. It was a way of, 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 of detecting minute quantities, uh, usually of viruses, but, but of, of, of any, um, any nucleic acid. Right. For the purposes of, of genetic research on them. So 
amplifying them from perhaps one single molecule, getting them to a level where you could have enough of the nucleic acid to, to do some tests on. Right. So I read about this, thinking, oh, it's very interesting. And then in the interview, uh, Thomas Schultz, the, the guy who interviewed me, uh, the best boss I've ever, ever had, and will ever have, by the way, fantastically. Uh, he said to me, so do you know about PCR? So quick as a flash, I said, what do you mean the polymerase chain reaction? Yes, I said, obviously it's a fairly new uh, tool. So I haven't used it an awful lot, which was the likes I've never heard of it before that morning. So haven't used it an awful lot really meant I hadn't even used it. Uh, but I said, it, it's, uh, it's a tremendously exciting uh, new technique though, isn't it? I said, you know, relies on, on the polymerase that withstands high temperature from a uh, thermally dwelling bacterium called Thermus aquaticus. And uh, it involves going through cycles of, of uh, depolymerization of, of, um, of, of DNA fragments, uh, annealing to a primer, and then polymerizing a full length strand between two, three prime to five time prime uh, primers. Uh, I said, and, and you know, this is all obviously done uh, at the moment by, um, by robotic uh, hands moving from one water bath to another. I said, surely, surely it won't be long before someone invents a, a little machine that actually uh, changes the temperature automatically. Uh, and, I, and I let it stop. He said, gosh, you, you you do know a lot. Well, that's, that's fantastic. We were actually we're looking for someone to head up the um, uh, the HIV detection by PCR panel. And I said, mm, yes, that would be uh, great. <laughs> and I got the job, I think, on that basis. And a week after applying for the job, I was telling all these professors how to do PCR, thinking, Fuck, I have no idea. But, yeah, but, but you've, got, you've got that week's um, that week's magazine, hadn't you? I, I read everything I could about it. There wasn't any internet in those days. No. So I had to go to the library and look at uh, proper articles, written stuff. Yeah. But in those days, there, there were three water tanks. There was one at uh, 96 degrees C, one at about 50-odd degrees C, and one at 70-odd degrees C. Right. And what you do is you get a little sample that contains the DNA or the RNA that you need. And you put it in the water bath at 96 degrees for two to three minutes. Mm -hmm. And it separates double-stranded DNA into single-stranded DNA. Right. You then add a bundle of primers and primers and nucleic acids that recognize the, the bit of uh, nucleic acid you want. And then you cool it down to about 50 odd. And mm -hmm. um, there are calculations based on the number of guanines or uracils and thymidines that, that are in the, the section. Um, so you know, whatever temperature that recommends, you, you, you keep it in that for two to three minutes and it allows those little sections of nucleic acid to bind to the bit of interest that, that you want. And then you stick it in the third water bath and the, the TAC polymerase, the Thermus aquaticus DNA polymerase that's in there, will add nucle uh, nucleotides to that strand and make it a full length one. And you then go back to the beginning again. 
Secret in 96, 56, 76, 96, 56, 76, two to three minutes each for 25 cycles. And it was very, very dull. You'd be sitting there, it would take about four and a half hours and you'd have just enough time to pop for a pee. Maybe go upstairs and grab a cup of coffee from Eileen, the, uh, uh, the, the waitress up on the top floor, but you couldn't really stop to chat to her, which was a bit of a shame. So you had to go grab your coffee, say, I'll see you later, Eileen, save me a cheese bagel sandwich and rush back down. Next water bath, next water bath, four and a half hours. Now these oh. days they do it in about two and a half hours with a machine. Mm. Much easier. Progress, eh? Mm. So how long did you do that for? It gave me, well, I did that for three years. Right. And it gave me the opportunity to write the most boring chapter in the most boring textbook ever. So I wrote a chapter called Detection of the Viral Genome by the Polymerase Chain Reaction uh, in volume four of Methods in Experimental Virology. Right. Which didn't quite sell through the first print. I think I've got a copy of that here somewhere. Um, yeah 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 it's worth something now with toilet paper being so expensive and all yes well (laughs) (laughs) that was my little white lie for the evening (laughs) (laughs) so you waited three years so were you applying to vet school every year no no not at all i decided that's what i wanted to be and i loved it it was great i loved being a research virologist uh, absolutely amazing team I was working with. I got the opportunity to to speak in uh, in Italy, um, in Italian. So my, my boss, Thomas, was a polyglot. Spoke right. about five languages fluently. And I, I had to speak in, in Italy. So he wrote the lecture for me and coached me through how to, um, how to pronounce things. What I didn't realise, he said, I'm going to start you off with a bit of a joke as, a, as a, an icebreaker. And uh, the, the, the beginning of my speech, as I read it, people were laughing. I thought, great, the icebreaker worked well. And at the end of it, someone said, did you write that? And I said, no, no, Thomas wrote it. Ah, they said, that would explain it. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, it's going to say I'm only about two years old and I look it and I'm absolutely nothing about the subject I'm talking about. But I'm going to pretend for the purposes of vanity over the next 20 minutes that I know something about this and you're going to listen and laugh at this. <laughs> <laughs> How excellent is that? It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's, it's always difficult, isn't it? Picking up somebody's, somebody else's lecture notes mm. and their slides and going through the process the way they would have liked to have portrayed it. It is. It is absolutely, um, and it, and if you haven't got a full understanding of the subject, it can get really, really messy very, very quickly. It can, yeah. But I did that once at a BVNA congress. Uh, someone didn't turn up, and they sent their slides and said, "Could Julian read? Or could someone read them out?" And someone called me, so uh, so I did. And halfway through, I had to say, "Look, I'm terribly sorry, but I don't agree with what they're saying here." <laughs> This is what I think. I'll, I'll tell you what they say, and then I'll tell you what I disagree with it. <laughs> I said, if anyone thinks that, that I'm like, you know, put their hand up, if anyone 
second to the other person right put their hands up and it was about, about an even match and i said okay your, your homework was nice to find out which of us is lying or whether we're both correct and there are two ways of looking at it <laughs> interesting stuff god if that was my lecture i'd be spitting tax <laughs> you would you but we, we've lectured together in the past a few times yeah and they and they've gone okay we, and we never disagree do we no yeah we do yeah, we do all the time, actually. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. We we particularly disagree when uh, when we're tacking uh, in a boat, and um, and I say uh, port, and you say starboard to try and avoid something. Well, yeah, but let's not talk about that now. Okay, I didn't know the wave. The wave took the took the, the poor dummy man overboard to the wrong side of the boat at the last second. I, I got it all under control. <laughs> to, to our listeners, we, we, uh, we were doing a, a simulated rescue and, uh, and we killed them. But between, between Mike and I, we, we killed this, this poor person who'd fallen overboard. Now, now it wasn't a person. It was, a, it was, a, it was just a... It was just a boy. It's it just a boy. That's it's just a boy. Worst, <laughs> just a boy. Yeah, there a we little, go. A little rubber inflatable boy, and we we rolled over him. <laughs> l- l- luckily, luckily, our uh, our instructor cut us some slack, and we still qualified. And uh, so, if anybody wishes to join us on uh, off in a, on an offshore powerboat, and is prepared to pay for us to drive, we're quite happy to drive you offshore in a powerboat. Absolutely, we'll do we've that. got we'll the license that says we've we got can. the license. Woo! We can't radio anyone uh, if we have any problems. Can we? No, because we haven't we done that bit of the course license. yet, have we? <laughs> no, no, we'll, we'll, we'll get that bit of the course. I, I want to get back to this. I'm, I'm rather intrigued because you waited three years. I did. I waited three years. So, so I was I was loving it. As I said, I really enjoyed it and could see myself uh, doing this for the rest of my life. Right. Uh, did they find and, out about you lying in the interview? Oh, no, he, he knew about that uh, two weeks after starting. <laughs> I don't think I needed to tell him. <laughs> back, in, back in the day, you'd get away with that. And nowadays, you'd be straight out the door. Oh, I'd be gone now. Now, <laughs> uh, a couple of things happened. So I was, um, I was going out with, uh, with a girl at the time who lived in Potter's Bar. Mm-hmm. And... She was house sharing with uh, with a vet student, right? And so I I, I spent many a night uh, chatting to, to her and, and, and the and the vet student and uh, finding out about life as a as a vet student. And I realised three things. I realised one, I wasn't fully committed to doing the PhD that I'd been offered, mm-hmm. and I realised two that I really, really wanted still to be a vet. Mm-hmm. And I realised three, that I preferred the girl who was a vet student to the girl I was going out with. Oh, embarrassing. Yeah. That was the awkward. most awkward part of it. Mm. Right. What, what happened there? Um, we, we split up. We, mm-hmm. we decided to go our mutual ways. Uh, and then I realised how difficult it was to date the girl who's living in her house. So, <laughs> so I gave that up as a as a bad move as well. 
Right. Uh, but but I did apply to vet school and got in. Right. So you applied to the RBC. I applied to the RBC. Had a grueling interview. All right. Um, partly grueling because I realised halfway through that um, that the chap that was asking me questions was the virologist at uh, the RBC asking some questions and I disagreed with what he was saying. Ah. So he he was asking me questions about the polymerase chain reaction. It was quite clear he didn't have the faintest idea. And I was far too arrogant to say, you know, I didn't at one stage either. I'll let you I'll let you get away with that. But I actually corrected him during the interview and told him how it really hurts. <laughs> <laughs> and you still got offered the position? I got offered the position, not only that, but but after qualifying, this poor chap went off on long-term sick leave, the, uh, the virology lecturer. And I was given the job of virology lecturer for the first couple of years uh, while I was a student. So I was I was teaching my my cohort and, and the and the year above, uh, and then subsequently the year below. Um, the, the virology course that, that I was myself studying and I had to sit the exam that I helped write oh gosh oh dear how did that yeah. go uh I failed <sighs> yeah I had to reset that's awkward isn't it <laughs> so what, I, what what happened in veterinary college then that three years after they said oh sorry too many people we're not taking anybody in Mm. So three years later, going, oh, go on then, you can come. Well, they, they started to they started to see a decline in vets. Right. So it, was, it was the beginning. This was 1991. Mm-hmm. And whereas in 1988, when I'd previously applied, they were fully stocked as a veterinary profession. Right. In 1991, they were just beginning to see that actually the, the profession was, was losing numbers. Right, and they needed to to get more people in, uh, and there were nothing. There were government guidelines at the time that said you must take so many graduates. So, a concatenation of events that I was I was quite lucky to get on. Right, but I did have to fund the whole thing myself. Which well, was, I was going to come on to that because did you get a grant for your second degree? No, no. I, well, I actually no. I, I tell you, like, I was really, really lucky. I got a part grant. Uh, okay. I, I um I forget how I did it now because it was twenty nine years ago. But um, I wrote to the council and said something along the lines of, "Well, you had originally agreed to fund me for a veterinary degree, right. which would be very expensive. You funded me instead for for a three instead of a five year course. You funded me for a for a three year um, cheaper course. So would you pay me the difference?" And they actually said, uh, amazingly enough, uh, yes, we will. Wow. So and they, it, it wasn't quite that, but it was it was pretty much all the tuition fees. Okay. So well, that helps to find living. Which, yeah, it, it was absolutely amazing. And, and, and the motto from that story? I'm a, I'm a spawny get. No, I was uh, thinking if you don't ask, you don't get. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Be persistent, I think, is the motto. Yeah. Be persistent. I, I, I'm really pleased. As I said, I, I love 
the way round I took it. It was, it was six years longer than it should have taken, and okay. I had to go back into the first year rather than the uh, rather than entering the second year, right? Because I hadn't done anything that included anatomy, right? Um, I wouldn't change any of it. It was, it was a fantastic journey all the time, but I was very perseverant, and I think that that uh, that paid off ultimately. I also wrote about seven hundred letters to to wow. companies and to trust funds. I, I used a book called The Directory of Grant-Making Trusts and Wills. All right. Which was published in those days. It must, it must still be published. But there are, there are trusts and grants and funds, etc., available if you, if you fit the criteria that they look for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are there are some that are really specific. So one of the trusts that I looked up was uh, if you were a, a, a Jewish girl between the age of 15 and 18 who wanted to study Hebrew, there was a trust for you. So some of them are really quite specific. Right. Uh, and they're put in either uh, as, a, as a sort of tax relief, dodge people will set up these, these not dodge, but you know, some mm-hmm. sort of tax relief. I'm going to use the word dodge, ill-advisedly, but someone will set up a, a trust fund to give to someone for a charitable reason, yeah. uh, or leave money in a will for, uh, for, for, for the benefit of, of all mankind, or, or of some mankind. And I, I looked through this and, and wrote off 700 letters for funding and got about £20,000 worth of funding wow. for my course. Wow, uh, which which was amazing, and 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 some people, some of them just sent me a textbook or, or something like that. There was one one guy who really, I, I wish I could remember his name, but long long gone now, I'm afraid, I'm sure. But he was a he was actually a vet, right? And for some reason, he'd set up a trust fund, mm-hmm. uh, and it was thirty pounds a year, and he he actually gave me. Thirty pounds a year for five years towards my course, uh, and he said, "All, all I'd ask is perhaps you, you give me a buzz once a year, tell me how things are going." And I went up to visit him in, in my fourth year of study, right? I've been uh, oh, Newcastle, I think. Uh, a really lovely guy, absolutely, you know, amazing chap. And he took me around as a farm vet. He, he took me around on, on his on his visits. Uh, and he just said, he set this thing up, uh, really just, he said, I know it's a pittance, but I just thought I wanted to help in some personal way to, to just one person a year. Uh, so he had five of these trust funds going over 30 quid every year, which back in the 90s was, I don't know, what, £120 each person. Then so. it, it's it's a, it, it it would be easy to mock it, wouldn't it? But that little step up—that's one couple of textbooks. Yeah, yeah. That you would have to find some other way. But because you've got that cash, you can actually get access to that book. Absolutely, and I made a connection and, as well in the veteran profession, and it gave me an inkling into actually what a family the profession is. You've got me thinking here. It sort of makes me wonder, can we not encourage some of these senior vets and some of these people who, um, how, do we, how do we describe this? Um, 
I better be very, very careful with my chosen words here, hadn't I? A number of a number of senior vets have benefited greatly over the last few years um, mm. from their retirement. Absolutely, absolutely it be amazing. Yeah. If we could set up a trust fund for each of them to do their little bit and put a hundred quid in, say per year. Yeah, yeah. And we'd be able to help more than one student each year. Only a little bit, just a little, just a gesture. It's tax reclaimable. There's no it question is. about that. It is. I, I, I put in a bit of money each year to the um, the hardship fund for the Royal Veterinary College. And I think every right. college has its, its own hardship fund. But I was so pleased, so pleased. I, as I said, I got lots of money from from yeah. various trust funds which is fantastic but the, the one that, that, that i remember 20 odd years on is this guy uh, up north who, who who gave me money for a textbook or two each year yeah. and it was just it was such a personal lovely thing it was fantastic wouldn't that be like i'm going to throw it out there if any of our listeners are listening and know who we could talk to about setting something up like that, just a little something from a, a wide range of all of our listeners, just to help, just take the edge off the the costs of study for students now. That would be amazing. Mm. I think that would be really, really good. It would. And, you know, I've just looked it up. The Directory of Grant-Making Trusts yeah. is still, it's still going. Look, there we go. There's a... You can buy it. I've got it from the uh, the library, but the director of grant making trusts. So wow, director, uh, fantastic! And it lists all the all the grants and trust funds in actually in the world, I think, or at least in, in the, the accessible to, right. uh, to to the UK from the world. Wow, there's bound to be one to fit whoever applies so any students watching this or listening to this uh, please do go into your library in college and look for or go online and look for the directory of grant making trusts because even if you get a textbook given to you that, that's a help and, and uh, yeah. these these wonderful benevolent people who, who offer these trusts will be ever so pleased to be able to disperse the money I, well, I, I, I don't belittle it because um, in the early days of Thames Medical, I benefited from a government startup grant. Mm. And I think it was, if I remember rightly, it was, it was only something like 60 quid. It was something like 60 quid or 100 quid a month. Mm. I can't remember the exact amount. And it would be very easy to just poo-poo that. It would. It but would, at, but... The start, at the start of the company every hundred pound mattered mm. and if you think about it that's that could be the difference between oh do we buy food this month or not yeah and yeah. so no I, I i think that's i think that's lovely that it was good, great good advert good advert well, well I, mean, I was i was very impecunious in those days i was uh i was married right so I was married at the end of my first year oh wow uh, and we, my wife and I, lived in the summer house at the end of her parents' garden, which was about the size of the room I'm in now. Right. I had a bed and a desk, and like here, 
fold-up desk, um, and we'd go into into her parents' house to, to cook a meal of an evening. Right. Then pop back to our little summer house. And it was freezing. It was much too hot in the summer. Much freezing. too cold in the winter. And absolutely miserable. Wow. Mm. So did that change your relationship with, with, your, with your fellow students then? Because here you were, a relatively old man. Half, <laughs> half of them were straight out of school. Mm. Discovering beer. The opposite sex and trying to uh, trying to cook beans on toast for themselves, and you were a married man who's already been at work for three years, and I've got another degree. Absolutely, and um, they they were learning how to cook baked beans on toast, and I was throwing parties where we had paella. Um, <laughs> it it did, but you know they were they were fantastic. They 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 put up with me. Um, <laughs> It was it was brilliant, brilliant. I I look up to looked up to look up to, to most of them uh, on, on starting off in their journey through life, right? Uh, and uh, I think I think some of them looked up to me at least in the form of a sort of harmless mockery. So <laughs> I remember, yeah, old Git Hode was, was one of my monikers, um, <laughs> but I remember we were having. Uh, a chat in, in a pathology lecture about um, uh, about pigmentation mm-hmm. and acquired pigmentation, and I can't remember now we, we, which pathology lecture we had, but he, he was talking about um, uh, skin pigmentation and the hemosiderin, a breakdown of, uh, of, of red blood cells uh, lodging in the skin. Causing um, causing blemishes, and I said, "Is that what causes liver spots on on old people's hands?" And he said, uh, "I don't know what you mean. I've never heard of that." It was a foreign chap. Right. I mean, so someone said, "Stand up and show him, Julian." <laughs> 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 it was great. I was I was in I was in a really wonderful position because they were I was close enough to, to their age to, to to join in without being a an old fogey well uh, so far as you were concerned so, so far as I was concerned absolutely I didn't care. Yeah. I, was, I was immature enough to, to be able to be considered I was uh, really fortunate in that because I had a bit of experience in life uh, a lot of them felt they could come to me with with problems or for advice I, yeah I, but I you were a married man by then seriously. I was a married man. Yeah. Yeah. But and, so where's, uh, where's the benefit? Uh, the, the benefit was, was as ever, giving something back and feeling appreciated and needed. Right. Sorry, was I too shallow then? <laughs> For a change. <laughs> so you lived around London for five years. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. So why'd yeah. you move away? Why well, indeed? Because I now live in West Sussex. Right, okay. Um, well, so in fact, it was longer than that because I worked in London. So uh, I worked in South Kensington. That was the uh, Institute of Cancer Research. Of course, yes. So I was there for three years. I was in Camden for two years and uh, Potter's Barn, North London, for, for, uh, for three years. Right. Um, I lived in Sutton from the age of... 
12 onwards uh, and um, went to school in, in Croydon and, and up in Norwood. Uh, yeah, real real town stuff, real, real rough town stuff as well. Near Thornton Heath and uh, all those insalubrious places. Right. Uh, I've always been a country dweller, though, in my uh-huh. heart. My, my aunt, uh, my aunt and uncle live in a place called Amberley, just down the road from where I'm living now. Right. And it's... There's a castle it, it, there. There is. Amberley Castle. I was... I spent my, my first night of married bliss there oh. uh, in, in my second marriage uh, with, with the present, the present Mrs. Age, the only Mrs. Age. Um, I hasten to add, uh, but so, so my aunt and uncle lived there for, for many, many years. And from, from about the age of seven or eight, we spent most holidays there. Right. And it's the most amazing places in, in the country. So there were places to visit. That I, I helped uh, build bits of the castle for, for summer jobs. I helped to build the portcullis. Um, learned how to how to nap flint and, and uh, do all sorts of interesting things in my So so were, were you a um, were you a hoed carrier? I was I was a hoed carrier, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which is possibly where the word hoed comes from. They're not sure, are they? It, it, there are some people who think it was a Saxon word, and some people think it's a derivation of of hod, yeah, hod carrier, yeah, or a derivation of heath. Yes, yeah, I heard that as well. Yeah, don't quite know how. Although one of my favourite lecturers of all time was um, Professor Heath at Plymouth, who was an international expert on bumblebees. Oh, where I got my interest in bumblebees. Uh, so Professor Heath Hood. Hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Do you like bumblebees, do you? I love bumblebees. What else do you like? <laughs> no, you, you say this because I, I sent you a list late last night after covering <laughs> what, I, what I like and what I don't like. Yeah, can you can you remember what's actually written? <laughs> no, I can't remember. Can't remember it, what, can what you? Do I, well, I like, I like tapirs or tapirs, however you pronounce them. Uh, I like macaroni cheese. Uh, what I don't like, and this is a new one from yesterday in the list I sent you, what I, what I don't like are people who drive for two and a half miles in front of you perpetually uh, indicating right, but not actually turning. That, um, that, that really gets my goat. Fair um, enough. I do, I, I also, I love orchids. And okay. I know that's... That's been well, you've got quite a collection of orchids, haven't you? I have now got 37 species of orchid. What, what got you into orchids? Why orchids? I don't know. I, I, you, you're given these plants, aren't you, as presents occasionally, and, and orchids are the flowers that, that uh, just last and last and last. And I think that's probably it, that actually I got into it because I had these flowers I could look at for, for more than a couple of weeks. Uh, and for some strange reason, I was able to keep them alive where friends of mine said, oh, mine always die. Uh, and I started to read a bit about them, thinking, you know, are they in any way interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I won't bore you with the details now, but um, orchids are fantastic. And of course, the one of the most popular orchids in the world uh, is the vanilla orchid. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of the favourite flavours of ice cream in the world. 
Ben and Jerry's do terribly otherwise with orchids. <laughs> I, I, I quite like orchids because now you can imagine a lot of people would say, oh, it's died because the flowers have gone. Mm. Because they go through that, that cycle, don't they, where they, they just sit dormant, looking dead. Yeah. And yeah. then suddenly it all so starts it budding. Shoots appears, shoots and as it comes. Away it goes, yeah. yeah. I don't know. You, you give me an idea. I, I don't know whether we should do this on the show. Mm. Sort of like, it's a bit teen pop quiz, really, isn't it? So I've got a series of questions for you here, then. Yeah. So okay. I'm going to run through these. Let's, let's get a background and, and see if we can delve a little bit deeper into, into the, <laughs> the what makes Julian Hode tick. So whole series of, um, yeah, so, so black or white? Black. Okay. Ideal place to live? Oh, that's a tricky one. That's a tricky one. So, yeah, would it be in the mountains or by the sea? I think an ideal thing would be on the top of a cliff. Okay, fair with, enough. Lighthouse. With an easy path down to a beach. Go, go and buy a lighthouse. I might do. I go and have a lighthouse. You could do your powerboat racing and stuff as well from, from your lighthouse. <laughs> okay. Be right, isn't it? Yeah. All right. So, favourite author? Ah, now you see. Favourite author. Favourite author generally is P.G. Woodhouse. Good, that's Helen what it says here. Woodhouse. But my favourite book is by Douglas Adams. And so, and, and, and I've read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series in excess of 12 times. So, so for our listeners here, whatever you do, don't panic at this point in time. We are in control. So just don't panic. <laughs> don't panic. I'm never in control, but don't worry because it's always an SEP. Well, that, that of course is a reference to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because written in great big bold letters across it are the reassuring words don't panic. panic. There we go. And SCP means somebody else's problem. There we go. Fair enough. So you, you were you're a child child actor. Do you still do you still act? I I, I still do. I tread the boards. Uh, I'm in a very active dramatic society. Uh, we were active during uh, lockdown. Actually, we did a couple of radio plays. Wow. And uh, I've done three live plays since then. Face to face plays. Uh, I love it. It's great fun. What, what do you like most about it? What do I like? I, I, I love, like I said, every actor likes adoration, don't they? We all, we all like... Let's leave it at that. Fantastic. <laughs> um, what do I... What do I, I love hearing people laugh. Right. That's great. But I also, from, from an acting point of view, I love serious stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So some of my favourite plays have been serious things. Overall, my favourite play has to be The Importance of Being Earnest. An Oscar okay. Wilde play. Absolutely fantastic play. So what would be your favourite part? What would be the part you would like? I, I told someone this a few years back. They said, um, uh, I, I told them I was in The Importance of Being Earnest. And they said, um, they said, who did you play? I said, Earnest. And anyone who's listened to the play or read the play or seen the play uh, would know that there isn't actually a character called earliest but it's, it's a bit of an in joke among people so uh, algernon is um uh is is uh, is my was my character mm-hmm. from the importance of being earnest who invented the character called bumbridge or rather his friend invented a character called 
character called Bunbridge, who, who he could use an excuse to go and visit when he wanted to get out of something. So when his aunt said, can you come for dinner? I, I'd love to, but Bunbridge isn't well. I've got to go and visit him. Poor chap, it's not well. And, and so Algernon invented Ernest uh, and became Ernest and uh, uh, his, his future wife then fell in love with Ernest and he had to become Ernest, hence the importance of being, being Ernest. Very clever. Knew nothing of that. So okay, so so Kenneth Branagh comes knocking and says he's going to produce his next latest greatest hit, and he'd like you to star in it. So what part would that be? Anything. If Kenneth Branagh comes knocking, I would play. Um, yeah, I play someone from the from, from Waiting for Godot, the most boring <laughs> play in the world. Yeah, I, I would do it for Kenneth Branagh. Whatever, I'd do it. <laughs> so, have you got a part that you would like to play? Um, there are so many, so many. I would love. Are there are a few minor plays that, that, that never really hit the big time. Art. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember who wrote Art, um, which is a play based solely on on one joke, which is uh, someone who's, who's very wealthy and new Irish buys a piece of art which is a white canvas with a, a slightly off-white streak on it pays an obscene amount of money for mm-hmm. it and his friends at first feel anger towards him for doing that and then slowly start to realize there may be something in this uh, and i saw that uh in, in the west end when it came out mm-hmm. and the um, uh the main protagonist was played by art malik and, and that's that's a a part I'd love, the, the, the part that Art Malik played in, in art. Right. Uh, or the part that Angus Dayton played, and I think it was Angus Dayton, in a Tom Stoppard play called Hapgood, mm-hmm. which is about nuclear physics. All right. The most amazingly cerebral farce I've ever seen. Um, it, anything, really. I mean, I, 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 I'm embarrassed to say, but if I, if I said there was a part I particularly wanted to play last night, I can't remember it. But there are... <laughs> no, you, you didn't. It's just that um, <laughs> it's just I, I, my my acting career ended a lot uh, a lot younger than yours, and uh, I haven't ever gone back to it. But there are there are two characters who I would love to play. Oh yes, who, who's that? But only only at the Royal Shakespeare in Stratford. I wouldn't be bothered anything else. Which, which mm. parts are they? Um, one is Leah, King oh, Lear, yes. Yes. and the other, or the fool in King Lear. The fool in King Lear, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I must admit, Shakespeare-wise, I mean, the, the, the fool in King Lear. Gosh, you could you could hand that up like nobody's business. Can be it's amazing. Love it. Love that character. Mm. Love I, I played I played Park a couple of times in various um, Andran productions of uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. Right, and I, I love it. It was, uh, it was also a piece that I was given for my um, my lambda um, silver medal, I believe. Um, What's a lambda silver medal? Sorry, lambda is the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts. Oh. I, I did I did drama uh, classes for, for years. I mean, I, really, my mum didn't want me to be a vet. She really didn't, did she? She really wanted you to be an actor. Really, yeah, yeah. 
So I did this, and and, and I think it was I think it was silver. I did um, a Midsummer Night's Dream, and it was that the park part mm-hmm. through the forest have I gone, but Athenian found I none, on whose eyes I might approve this flower's force in stirring love. Night and silent. Who is here? Weeds of Athens she doth wear. This is he, my master said, despised Athenian maid, and hear the maiden's sleeping sound on this dank and dirty ground. Pretty soul, she durst not lie near this lat love, this ill courtesy. Churl, upon thy eyes I throw all the power this charm doth owe. When thou wakest, let love forbid sleep, his seat on thy eyelids. So awake when I am gone. For I must now to Uberon, and I do this wonderful jump uh, as, as Park, the, um, uh, the, the messenger. The messenger. I've, I've got all goosebumpy. Oh, yeah, it's lovely, lovely part. Um, and I, I did, I did that for, um, for my um, my lambda piece and got distinction. I was quite chuffed. I'm and a few fired. years later, I was uh, I actually played Park, and it was the first time I'd, I'd done the whole play. Um, this is a dramatics production in actually in Kent, I think. When I was working mm-hmm. down there, and um, when I when I stood up, you know, for I must now to Oberon. I leapt up and leapt over this piece of, of scenery, and on opening night, I disappeared down this trap door that had been left open by mistake, <laughs> and everyone thought, "Wow, that's amazing!" I like, this standing ovation, and <laughs> I was at the bottom thinking. I think I've broken my back. <laughs> oh, were you all right? I was, I was fine. I was winded, but I was okay. <laughs> Good grief. Good grief. Okay, <laughs> fair enough then. Right, favourite music artist? Oh. oh. Hang on, you've got a choice of four here. <laughs> I'll, g- okay. I'll give you a clue, shall I, so you can get the right answer. Hold on, Louis Armstrong. Well, okay, well, that's that's number one, yeah. Yeah, but, but this one's a bit counter, counterintuitive for a vet, really. Mm. Poisoning pigeons in the park? Lera, absolutely. I was, I was brought up on Tom Lera. <laughs> and if, any of our listeners, if you've not heard of Tom Lera, then, then look him up. Absolutely okay. brilliant. But he wrote this very off-colour song, Poisoning Pigeons in the Park, which is it's worth a listen to. Yeah. And, of course, he was famous for writing the song The Elements. Mm-hmm. There's... That's him, yeah. Well, of course, the diff- well, the difficulty now is is that since it was written, we've now discovered another two dozen elements, haven't we? And well, well, the- we've discovered a few and made a few, but but he, yeah. he has got, he's got a catch-all at the end of his song saying, um, these are the only ones of which the news has come to Harvard, but there may be many others, but they haven't been discovered. Yeah. So he, there's a let-out clause there. Well, a bit of a let-out clause, because I actually saw the periodic table the other day. Oh, yes. And it's different to the one that I learned by rote when I was back. <laughs> it, 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 it is. My, my daughter's doing chemistry at the moment. Yeah. She showed me, I thought, hang on. There's a, a couple of extra lines here. What's that all about? That doesn't look right. What are all these lines? What's all that all about? Yeah. So would you swap it? Would you do anything? Would you go back and do it again? I go back. A bit like Peter Cook. Um, I've learned from my mistakes and I can repeat them at any time. Yeah. They're, they're always 
there are always bits we could change, aren't there? Always oh. bits you think, oh, I could have handled that better, could have done that better. But by and large, I'd do it again because it's taken me on this amazing journey. And if I'd been able to step on that journey six or eight months, then uh, I might not have met you. I might not have been a vet. I might not have had so many things. I might, I might have had, you know, better. When I my figures up as quote marks there, um, I, I could be uh, owning a, a huge yacht at the moment. Well, no, you'll be able to do that fairly soon anyway, because they'll put them all to auction. Well, this is true, yes. I and um, <laughs> it's, all very, it's all very well seizing all of these million-dollar yachts from all of these Russian oligarchs, but they're still going to have to sell them to realise the value. Yes. And you're going to run them as well. And you're going to run them. God, how much do those yachts take to run? Oh, I wouldn't even like to think about that. However, however, yes. you do have your offshore powerboat license i do i do so i think as long as one of those oligarchs have, has a, a boat of less than 10 <laughs> is there anything you feel we've covered that we or that we haven't covered that you want to I, cover I, 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 I don't know that's, that's my life that's your it's life right. we've covered it oh i i don't know what to say it's all done it's all done Julian Hode, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you this evening. And if you've enjoyed listening, don't forget, drop us a line. And don't forget, click subscribe to Veterinary Ramblings. And we'll see if we can get some other interesting guests on for us to talk to. Nice to meet you, Mike. Nice to meet you too, Julian. May your dog go with you. May your dog go with you. Cheers. Cheers. And cut. (laughs) 